Right, we're going to look at Luke 23, verses 39 to 43. A couple weeks ago, he said that Jesus' last act, the, the, the final thing he instituted before going to the cross was the Lord's Supper. Uh, Jesus' final words are uh, what he said to the criminals crucified with him. And I think it's something that the final words of our Lord were spoken um, to criminals. Uh, even those on death row get to speak maybe to a family member or at least a pastor, but hear the Lord's final conversation and recorded those who suffer in the same fate, but for very different reasons and purposes. I'm going to reread these verses. Pastor Jeff just read them. I want to reread them for us. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Let's pray. Father, may you now bless uh, my words and attend them with power of your Holy Spirit, deliver them to your people, that they might know the depths of your love for them and the heights of your great glory. In Jesus' name, amen. There's two criminals, um, one on his right and one on his left. We don't know why or what they did to deserve this punishment, but according to one of them, they are deserving of it. And we see that one of them hurls abuse, as many others are at Christ. Well, the other doesn't. The one who hurls the um, abuse, mocking Christ, questioning whether he is the Christ, that he should save them. And um, the irony here, of course, is that what this man says of Jesus, mocking him, is actually true. Now, we all know what it's like to poke fun of somebody who is uh, attempting to do things or saying things about him or herself that is inflated. Some of, of us, some of you, as your bodies age, you attempt things that you once could do and can't do any longer, and it sometimes leads to some uh, good memories that our loved ones never let us live down. Sometimes young people boast greatly about what they can do and so on, and siblings or friends will mercilessly rib them for their great boasts, and they should. Because we're mistaken in our great sense of our, uh, our greatness. But here, Jesus is actually the Christ. Right? Are you not the Christ? He's mocking him. He's mocking him with Jesus' own words. Are you not the Christ? Are you not the Messiah? Are you not the King sent from heaven to save us? If so, then save yourself. Prove it. Save yourself and us. Save yourself and us. And so Jesus is as this man says, though he doesn't mean it. And of course, the irony is that Jesus is more than capable of saving himself. He, he actually created uh, the elements that were used to forge the nails that were driven into his wrists and ankles. He spoke 
all of creation into existence, even the trees that the timber was harvested from that he is hanging on. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. If he were to cease speaking, the very things that were holding him up would stop. Of course he can save himself. And as you know, as we've just sung, he'll prove it. (laughs) But he'll prove it in a much more spectacular way. Which is greater, to save yourself before death or to raise yourself afterwards? Uh, There are many stories in our world of people being snatched at the last moment from the jaws of death, but there are none of someone walking out of the grave of his own power. If Jesus would have saved himself from the cross, which he could have, that would have been the easier thing, then he wouldn't have done the far greater of raising himself from the dead. And so this irony is rich here. It's wealthy. And, of course, if he would have saved himself from the cross, then he would have been the only one ever saved. That's the irony here. If Jesus would have taken himself off the cross, then nobody else in the history who came before him or after him would have ever been forgiven of their sins. The only way that Jesus could save others is by not saving himself. To save us, Jesus had to refuse to save himself. And by not saving himself, the Lord is able to save any who come to him, including this second criminal. In John 12, 24, Jesus said that unless a kernel, a seed goes into the ground and dies, it cannot bear fruit. Unless Jesus died and went in the ground, he could not bear fruit. Right? Unless a mother goes through the difficulties of nine months of pregnancy and the like death pains of childbearing, the child cannot live. Unless old Dan of where the red fern grows places himself between Billy and the mountain lion and gives his life, Billy would have died. Christ cannot save both himself and us. In order to save us, the very purpose for which he went to the cross, he had to remain there. He was willing to remain there in order that your and my salvation could be purchased through the shed blood on the cross and his death. And so what this first mocking criminal says is ironically just the opposite. It's it's true in a strange way. Now, who does Jesus die to save? It uh, isn't just happenstance that there's a criminal on either side of him. Uh, Every time we read a story, one of the purposes of an author is to invite you into it by identifying with the characters. And uh, here, you are not meant to identify with Christ. You're meant to identify with the criminals. Never have been uh, truer words spoken about who you and I are than by this second criminal. We indeed suffer justly for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. The second criminal understands the justice of God and the sinfulness of man. He was receiving what he was due. The wages of sin is death. This criminal 
and his execution is just before God and before man. And this man knows it. And this man is speaking of us. He is on a cross, but he may as well be behind a pulpit. He is preaching a little sermon here. He is saying that which you and I must hear first. You and I must hear first that we, in Adam, deserve this kind of execution. We are born dead in sin. By nature, we are children of wrath, children deserving of death. This man is right about himself. This man is right about the other criminal. This man is right about everybody who's standing on the cross. And this man is right about you. We do not love God. We mock him. We do not give God glory. We selfishly hoard it for ourselves. We do not tell the truth about ourselves and about God. We are liars. We do not serve others. We demand they serve us. Or if we do something for them, we expect something in return. We're deceitful. We're not what we appear We may appear good externally, but inwardly we're not. We're in the secret, in the dark, at home, and nobody sees. That's what we are. We're vile, we're impure, we're unholy, we're ungrateful. We are criminals. This man is a great theologian. And he also understands that the one being crucified next to him, Jesus Christ, isn't like him at all. We deserve justly, but this man has done nothing wrong. Jesus, it says in Hebrews 4, was tempted and yet never sinned. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that God made him to be sin who knew no sin. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 20, verse 22, there was no deceit found ever in our Lord. He was sinless. Right, so here's the gospel. Here it is. Right there in front of our eyes. If you have ears to hear, here it is. You deserve death. But the one who doesn't, because he has done nothing wrong and always done what is right, lovingly from the heart, obeying his Father, suffered and bled and died in your place for your sins. This criminal is preaching a great sermon. Do you have ears to hear it? Why are you so stubborn to believe this? This is the vital heart of the gospel. There is no good news unless you are bad. And there is no good news unless Christ is good. We deserve death, but Christ hung on the cross for him, for us, for you, for me. And what then does the criminal say? He simply turns away from the other criminal. He turns away from himself. And he looks at Jesus and simply says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus, very intimately, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Man has nothing to offer. He'll do nothing. He'll he'll never contribute. 
himself to the kingdom. And yet, what a confession. Has there been a greater confession of more sincere faith? What a confession. He saw by faith the truth that apart from the powerful mercy of the one hanging next to him, apart from the grace of Jesus, apart from the limitless power of Jesus, he was doomed and he would expire and go to hell. And so he simply asked, Jesus, please, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Have you asked this of him? Will you? The only hope of this criminal is our only hope. You must appeal to the Savior who suffered and bled and died and rose again from the dead to grant you salvation, you must appeal to him. You don't have to use the same words, but you must have the same faith. The faith to believe that in Christ alone there is salvation for wretched criminals deserving of condemnation. You must lose faith and all hope and everything else except Jesus and his mercy and his power. so I pray that you do. What Jesus says in response is simply wonderful. Um, there are some sentences, some phrases meant to be taken in slowly, to be pondered, to be enjoyed. They're not like mac and cheese out of the box, like a, instead of like a choice cut of meat to be savored. They're uh, like to be whole, they gorgeous, warm spring sunset. There be to be treasured like the holding of a newborn child. What Jesus says in response in verse 43 are some of the most blessed words ever to be spoken in this world. Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. <laughs> Notice how firmly Jesus says these words, how assuredly Truly, I tell you the truth, certainly, without a doubt, we, when we're children, say silly things like cross my heart and hope to die. We may even do something worse like swear on our mother's grave. Jesus' truly is meant to convey the utter truthfulness, the completedness, the 100%, no doubt, I am telling you, you will be with me in paradise. Notice those words, will be. You will be. Not, you might be. Not, I hope you may be. But, you will be. No doubt on Jesus' part at all. And why should the criminal trust Jesus? Because Jesus is the one speaking. The promise is only as good as the one speaking it. Jesus is God. 
nothing's going to surprise Jesus. He's all wise. Nothing can stop Jesus. He's all powerful. Jesus is doing what is necessary for that man to be in paradise that very day by dying in his place. The Holy Spirit tells us in Romans 8 that there is nothing in heaven above or on earth below that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Jesus knows because Jesus is the one who will fulfill the promise that that man would be that day with him in paradise. And those words can be believed by each of us who have the same faith as this criminal. Truly I tell you, you will be with me in paradise. Because Jesus says it, it's true. Not because you're good, not because you're wise, not because you're righteous, not because you go to Pine Grove, not because you're pretty, not because you've lost weight, not because you've said no to the second donut, not because of anything else, but because Jesus says it. That's it. You and I have one hope in this world, and it's Jesus. And he says it. And then, don't forget though, Jesus says this to one criminal and not the other. There is some fear here. Don't miss that this second criminal says, do you not fear God? Do you, do you fear God? Do you fear him who has the power to kill and cast into hell? There is fear of God in these verses. There is terror in the reality that one of the criminals would be with Jesus in paradise and one would be separated for all eternity from paradise with Christ in hell. Christ welcomes one and doesn't the other because one responds in faith faith, and the other does not. So as you consider Good Friday, it's only good if there's faith in Christ. If you have no faith in Christ, then this is awful Friday. This is terrible Friday. This is no hope for you at all Friday until you repent and turn to Christ as this criminal does in sincere, simple faith. But you must fear God. You must fear judgment. That either of them is welcomed into paradise is beyond our expectation, though. None of us deserves this. It's all grace. And then... Please don't miss that Jesus tells this repentant criminal, this wonderful man, that this day he will be with him in paradise. Paradise. Christ is God. The criminal is but a man. Christ is the creator and the criminal is but a creation. Jesus Christ is the Lord, and the criminal is a rebel against the Lord. Jesus Christ is holy and pure, and the criminal is impure and defiled. He's wasted his life. Christ suffers unjustly. The criminal is suffering justly, and yet the Lord tells that man, he will be with him in paradise. Who would you take to paradise? He wouldn't take this guy. We, we don't take people like this to paradise. We look the other way. 
And Christ is not ashamed to call this man brother. Christ is not unwilling or unloving to take this man to his home in paradise. And that's what Scripture is all about, isn't it? Scripture is all about God making the way through the life, death, and resurrection of his son so that criminals like us, like this man, can be reconciled to be with God. Today you will be with me in paradise. This is Jesus Christ. He promises the man that he will be with him in paradise. Now we know that in this age when a believer dies, his spirit, her spirit goes to be with the Lord and a body yet remains in the grave. We are for a time disembodied spirits to be with God, to be reunited with our bodies at the return of Christ. And yet, the place where Jesus is about to go to and take this man to be with is paradise. Just let your mind linger on that word paradise. What comes to mind when you think of the word paradise? Now don't forget, that should make you be thinking back to Genesis 1, Genesis 2, and what they lost in Genesis 3. Adam and Eve lost paradise. They were kicked out. A place of exceptional beauty and pleasure, of, of, of uh, communion with God, they were removed from. It was lost. And now here Jesus is saying, it's again ours if you have faith. Paradise. Heaven. Beauty. Pleasure. Happiness. Delight. Fruit. Warmth. Peace. Luxury. Satisfaction. Wonder. Joy. Angels worshiping, saints gone before, there. Nothing wicked, nothing evil, no sickness, no death, no deceit, no lying, no relational ill, no abuse, no fear, no neglect, wonder upon wonder upon wonder, no lack, only provision, no boredom, only ever-increasing pleasure and joy. This is what God is preparing for those who love him. It's paradise. That's what Jesus came to die to take you to. Right? Not, not purgatory. Paradise. Paradise. And paradise is because he is there want heaven for heaven's sake. Mainly we want heaven because Christ is there. Our desire is to depart and to be with Christ because where Christ is is paradise. Jonathan Edwards state that heaven is a world of love. That's what paradise is. It's a, it's a world of love. It's a world where nothing comes between you and the love of your God. And it is our home. It is your home. It's the place that you were destined by God to be. It's the place that you have always been seeking. It's real. It's, the, it's what, as you seek things in this world, as you try things, as your heart longs after thing, it's just pointing you to a much deeper, more fundamental, more real, more true longing for heaven for this paradise. We are counseled in Scripture to sell everything and purchase this joy of this, this pearl of great price. And this is the precious promise of your all-powerful, all-gracious Savior.
We do hate death. It is an enemy. It's not a friend. It's a foe. It's not beautiful. It's ugly. But it is not to be feared for a believer because we're assured of paradise. Whenever the day of your death comes, and it is coming, what you want to remember is Jesus said today, you'll be with me in paradise. Let's pray. Father in heaven, would you cause us to remember these words, these precious words of our Savior, our Lord, that the promise for all who turn to him in faith like this criminal is to be with him in paradise. Not by our own ability, not by us ascending to him, but by him taking us to be with him by his grace and might. And so, God, would you use this to cause us to enjoy your son, to delight in him, to, to thank him, to live gratefully before him, to live for his glory. What a savior. What, what, what you've done, oh God, is beyond incredible. We praise you for the cross. And thank you for paradise to come. In Jesus' name, amen.